Psalm 34, and let's take off with this study from the Word of God of angels. Psalm 34. It's one verse about angels that I hope most of you already know, but let's begin right there. There are several good reasons why I've chosen to preach on the subject of angels. We're at the midpoint in our study of the epistle to the Ephesians, and a one-week break won't hurt us. The first three chapters of Ephesians are of a doctrinal sort, and those three chapters end with an amen. And the chapters four through six are of a very practical nature, so we're going to take a break. But while we were studying the first three chapters of Ephesians, we saw in Ephesians chapter one that the Lord Jesus Christ was promoted over all the angels. As we just sang and as was just mentioned to you, as was just prayed. In the third chapter, we saw that God wants to give the angels an object lesson of His manifold wisdom. And He does that by the way He treats us, the church. Because He has loved us and adopted us beyond what He ever did for any of them. Those angels that sinned, He reserved in chains for everlasting destruction. But He sent a Savior for us. And the angels desire to look into these things because they cannot believe that the God of heaven had mercy upon His chosen ones in the human race and bypassed the angelic race. They desire to look into these things. You are blessed this day to be a son of God. Another reason why this subject is important to me is because on Tuesday of this past week, in the middle of the night, I got an email from a commander of the special forces in Afghanistan asking for prayer because four of those special forces had just been blown away with a rocket attack as they were driving an armored vehicle in that mountainous, God-forsaken country. I wrote him back and I sent you the email that I wrote him. I've known him for a long time. And I pointed out to him that he ought to be taking comfort in the fact that the angels of God are around him to protect him. I also pointed out to him that the military history he was taught at West Point was very inadequate. It was ignorant. And it was corrupt. And I'll show you what I mean by that in just a few minutes. We want to look at military history according to the Word of God. There is nothing in the U.S. arsenal that can even singe an angel. There is nothing in the U.S. arsenal that an angel cannot spit on and put out forever. And I want us all to believe that. Now, I'm about to read you a verse that I first learned when I was four years old. When I was four years old, I used to have terrible nightmares. There was a kidnapper in the house and he was going to get me. He was going to haul me off and he was going to ask a million dollars of my father. And since my father didn't have it, he just sliced my throat and I'd bleed to death. And so I'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming. My mother would come in to comfort me. She didn't say, come and get in bed with dad and me. I'm glad she didn't or I wouldn't have a brother and sister. She would get a flashlight and lead me through the house, and we'd look in every closet. We didn't have a big house, but it took a while. She was very patient with me, and she would shine that flashlight in every closet and under every piece of furniture where someone could hide and say, see, there's no one in the house. Then she would show me Psalm 34 and verse 7, and here is what it says. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And delivereth them. And she would tell her little Johnny, she does not like me, implying that she ever called me that. She would tell her little Johnny that over there in the corner of that small bedroom, there was a tent. And the angel of the Lord was camped there to protect her little Johnny. And I thank God for my mother. I thank God for Psalm 34, 7. And I thank God for the angel of the Lord because I'm 40 eight years old now, and He has saved me every day of my life from unseen and seen dangers. And I want you to rejoice this day in the angels of God. Psalm 34 and verse 7, I hope you'll learn it, remember it. And all of you children, when you go to bed at night and it's dark in your room, there is camped in your room the angel of the Lord. 
you can't see him because he is better than sight. If you can see something with your eyes, that means it is temporal and it is going to vanish away. It means it rusts and deteriorates and will be destroyed. If you cannot see it, then it is something eternal. That's what the Bible tells us. These angels live forever. They are God's creation. They're in your room. They have unlimited power. And if you fear God, and that fear is not being afraid of God in a way that terrifies you, that fear of God is a reverence and respect for God as your Father and as the Almighty God of heaven. If you fear God, they're going to deliver you. And that's Psalm 34 and verse 7. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for His ultimate honor and glory, bless me now as I open Thy Word to these people, that they might be comforted, instructed, and warned about the angels of God, and yet more than anything else, they will know that the Lord Jesus Christ reigns in heaven over the entire angelic host. We ask this in His name and for His honor and glory. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 19. Second Kings chapter 19. Let's talk about the angel of the Lord, children. The Assyrian Empire is one of the great empires of the world. The Assyrians were ferocious soldiers. They dealt, they used tactics that are outlawed in our generation by the Geneva Convention. Their capital city was in Nineveh. And here's what we read about them in 2 Kings chapter 19, and I wish I could take an hour to open the whole chapter to you. But they have come and surrounded the city of Jerusalem, where a good king that feared God was located, and his name was Hezekiah. Amen. And Hezekiah prayed for God to help them about that huge army that was outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And the Lord God said in verse 34, I will defend this city to save it, for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And so how did the Lord save the city for His sake? The next verse tells us. 2 Kings 19.35 And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold... They were all dead corpses. If you were to go read 2 Chronicles 32, which is another account of this same event, it would say that the 185,000 were made up of the mighty men of valor and the captains and the leaders of that army. They were not just the basic foot soldiers. They were the leaders of that army. I wrote the young man, the 27-year-old commander of the special forces in Afghanistan, that he ought to put his trust in the angels of God and that he ought to look into the mountains around his fire base in Afghanistan and know that they are full of the chariots of God. This is what one angel of the Lord can do in one night. Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, with shame of face, the Bible tells us, he was deeply shamed to have had 185,000 of his men destroyed in one night went home, and the God of heaven sent his two sons in that while he was worshiping an idol, they killed him with the edge of the sword. Now that is a way to go down in ignominy and shame. And that is to blaspheme the God of Israel. He sent the angel of the Lord to wipe out the army, and then he sent his own two sons to cut his throat while he was worshiping his false god named Nisroch. This is what one angel of the Lord can do. Now let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 6, which our brother Bob Reed read to us already this morning, and which is a story in the Bible that all of our children should remember. These are not the Assyrians. Now you've gone to the left in your Bible, which means you've gone back in time in this book, and you've come back to the Syrians. You know, we still have Syrians today. There's still a nation called Syria that is north of Israel, as it was in these days. The Syrians came and surrounded a city called Dothan, and it wasn't Dothan, Alabama. It was Dothan, Israel. And in that city was Elisha the prophet. And they were coming to get Elisha the prophet because they couldn't have any military success, 
as long as Elisha was with Israel because he told the king of Israel everything that the king of Syria tried to do. I wonder what kind of beings were running back and forth between the military meetings of the the Syrians and the Elisha the prophet. The watchers and the holy ones of God. Angels are called watchers in the Bible. We'll see it again in a moment. Children. A young man who was a servant boy to Elisha the prophet got up in the morning and looked out and saw that the city was surrounded by a great host. We read in these verses. A great host of horsemen and chariots. And he went into his master and said, Alas, what's going to happen to us? And Elisha opened his sleepy eyes and said, Don't worry, there's more with us than is with them. And that is a verse we never want to forget. The Bible tells us that it was a great host of the Syrians that came and surrounded that city. But Elisha still said in that 16th verse, They that be with us are more than they that be with them. Don't worry, lad. We've got more on our side than they've got on their side. But see, the lad couldn't see anything. And you children can't see anything this morning. And so on this particular occasion, Elisha the prophet prayed and said, Lord, open the young lad's eyes, not this way with eyelids, but open them so that he can see spiritual things that are beyond the sense of sight. The Lord opened his eyes, and what did he see? He saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha was entirely surrounded by the fiery chariots of God, which is one of the ways that an angel looks. An angel is not a pudgy, pink little baby with wing buds that toots on a horn. That is a Catholic caricature of an angel. An angel is not those baby-faced, effeminate-looking actors that Hollywood chooses to play the role of angels in their dramas, their series, and their movies. Angels are terrifying beings that whenever anyone saw an angel, they fell at their feet as dead. They thought they were seeing God because they were so glorious. There's nothing on earth like them. They appeared as a flame of fire. They appeared with the strength of the sun. They appeared like a bolt of lightning. They appeared like a fiery chariot. They appeared like a man of strength. And they were afraid of them when they saw them. In this case, they looked like chariots of fire. And there were many of them. The mountain was full all around Elisha. And you children need to remember that. Though you cannot see them, they are there when you need them. And though you cannot see them, they are here while we have this church service. We're looking at military history. The Assyrian army lost 185,000 in one night because an angel of the Lord smote them and they were all dead corpses in the morning. We're looking at military history. The Syrian army came and surrounded the city of Dothan, Israel, and there were the chariots of God there, the angels of God that protected Elisha. Let's keep looking at some of these things. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. This is not taught at West Point. Because West Point cannot operate beyond sight and sound. They're very limited in the knowledge they have because they've rejected the Word of God as much of our country has. You know, if you go back and look at our founding fathers and look at the first presidents of our country, and there's a document on our website that shows you the proclamation for Thanksgiving of the Continental Congress of the United States versus the Thanksgiving proclamation of President George W. Bush. The difference between them is enormous. Even a child can read the two and realize something has happened in our nation. The, The Continental Congress understood that their military successes were by the Lord of hosts intervening on their behalf. And they knew that. Now today we've been raised on MTV and Sesame Street, and so no one understands the reality of the universe. They operate no better than a dog. Sight and sound. If it's not in the newspaper where they can read it, if it's not a hot dog that they can eat, if they can't smell it, touch it, or hear it, then it must not be true. But listen, anything that you can touch with your senses is of a very temporal nature. And the things beyond your senses are of a realm that are much higher than what we have in this room. But we are reading about them in the Word of God, and faith lays hold of what the Bible says and believes it. You know, these people today reject the Bible as being true. 
And yet every one of them, when they pull out a pen and they date their check, prove that the Lord Jesus Christ visited this earth 2,006 years ago because every single one of them date their checks 2006. Everyone in the world observes a seven-day week. Now, the whole world observes a 365 and one-quarter day year because that's how long it takes for the earth to travel around the sun. Everyone observes a 24-hour day because that's how long it takes the earth to revolve. But why do they observe a seven-day week? Because this book, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested the seventh. Why does the whole world observe a seven-day week and rest one of those days? Because the Bible is true. It's always been true. And that is two little examples of a thousand that can be marshaled to show the truth of the Bible. We're looking at military history according to God's Word and events that truly did happen. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 22 and have a picture, a little window open to us into heaven. Micaiah the prophet is speaking. 1 Kings 22, verse 19. And he said, There's two kings listening to this speech. King Ahab, a wicked king. King Jehoshaphat, a good king. If you were to read the whole chapter, it's all plainly laid out. These two kings are listening. Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, and all the host of heaven standing by Him, on his right hand and on his left. What's the host of heaven? The angelic armies. (coughs) All the angels of God, on his left hand and his right hand. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth, and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. You just got a glimpse into heaven. You got a glimpse into heaven where the creator God of the universe sat on his throne and the angelic armies were gathered before him on his left hand and his right hand. And he said, who's going to get Ahab into battle today so that I can kill him? One angel had an idea. Another angel had an idea. Finally, an angel stood up and said, I'll persuade him. And God said, how are you going to do it? What's your method? He said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets so that his prophets will convince him that he's going to have military success and he will go out to battle. And he went out to battle that day and disguised himself because of this message. He said, I'm going to prove this prophet wrong. I will go into battle and disguise myself. And he went into battle, and the enemy drew a bow at a venture. An archer of the enemy drew a bow at a venture and flung an arrow, a chance arrow, into space. And it came down and found its way between the joints of his armor, and Ahab died that day. And 1 Kings 22 tells you every detail that I just told you. This, these are the angelic beings that God created higher than man out of our sight and they have operated in human affairs from the beginning of the world to the end of the world and we are joined with them. They are our companions. They are our colleagues and our helpers in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. One angel of the Lord took out 185,000. When the little boy's eyes were opened, he saw that the whole mountain was full of those angels. And here we see them operating in heaven and being given commands by God and sent to earth. This is military history. This is what happens in the world. Come over to Daniel, the book of Daniel. And let's look at some world history. Now this 27-year-old young man in Afghanistan has received one of the finest educations that our nation can offer. And he has studied a great deal of military history. He knows all about the nation of Afghanistan. 
and how the Persian, Persians waged wars there. That's the Persian Empire. He knows about Darius and Xerxes. He knows about Alexander the Great that came after the Persians and defeated the Persians and had a great deal of difficulty in Afghanistan as he made his way to India. They know that Alexander the Great was one of the greatest military generals in the history of the world, and so they study his tactics to this day. And he writes me about these things that he's learned. But I want to show you a little bit of information that they're not shown at West Point. And let's move now away from the Syrians and the Assyrians, and let's come forward in time to the four great empires of the world. There are four great empires of the world, the Babylonian, the Persian, the Greek, and the Roman. And here they are, and they're given to us by name, except the Roman, because you're supposed to be able to figure out that if it's Babylon first, Persia second, Greece third, you know what comes forth. And anyone who's ever studied any history at all knows that's the order of the last four world empires. We read in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of the Babylonians, had a dream. He had a vision. He saw an image. And Daniel's about to explain that image to him that represented the four empires of the world. Verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. There's the first empire in the world, the Babylonian. Nebuchadnezzar's the king. We know where his capital was. We know his name. We know his mother. We know his father. This is history that has been verified that the Bible gave us in 450 B.C. when Daniel wrote these words. Verse 39, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. The second kingdom that was inferior in verse 39 is the Persian kingdom. The third kingdom that's compared to brass here that would rule over all the earth is Alexander the Great that ruled from North Africa all the way to India. The fourth kingdom is the Roman kingdom, and that's in verse 40. Come to chapter 7 of Daniel. I have preached these chapters verse by verse. There's a document on our website that gives much more information than I am now. We're looking for just a few simple things. We want to know that there were four world empires. Chapter 7. This time there are four great beasts representing those empires. We read in verse 3 of Daniel 7. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Ever seen that image before? A lion with eagle's wings? Babylonian. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. The Persians. Verse 6, After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, And dominion was given to it. The Greek. Why a leopard with wings? Because no one ever conquered so quickly as Alexander the Great. At the age of 30, he wept because he had no more worlds to conquer. Because he did it with such speed. But he did it with such speed because the God of heaven gave dominion to him in this sixth verse. And the beast had four heads because Alexander the Great died at the age of 30 and his empire was divided to his four generals and that was prophesied long before it ever happened by Daniel in 450 B.C. The fourth empire, verse 7, And after this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. 
There's the Roman Empire that when it was overthrown, degenerated into the ten nations of Europe that are still known today as the European common market. There is no difficulty in these four empires. Come to chapter 8. Now we've already been told that Babylon was number one from chapter 2. Chapter 7 didn't give us the names of any of these, but names of 2 and 3 are going to be given right now in Daniel chapter 8. Beginning at verse 3. Daniel said, I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. That's the Media Persian Empire. Two horns, the Medes united with the Persians and became a great world empire. The Persians came up last and they were the greatest. We always refer to that second empire as the Persian Empire because the Medes were kind of forgotten after the Persians came into power. Verse 4, this Persian Empire is represented as a ram. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward. The direction they didn't go was eastward, which would be toward India. Because they were already Persia, which is over there near India, they pushed westward, northward, and southward, so that no beast might stand before him. No nations could resist the Persians. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. Until we have great kings like Xerxes and Darius, the Persian Empire, which our young friend was taught at West Point about Darius and Xerxes. And as I was considering, verse 5, Behold, an he-goat came up from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Here's another empire coming into existence while the Persians existed. It's coming from the west. Greece is far west of Persia. It had a notable horn. That is Alexander the Great. It didn't touch the ground because it flew so fast to destroy the Persians. Verse 6, And he came to the ram that had two horns, that's the Persians, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground, and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong... The great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven, the four generals of Alexander that divided the Roman, the, the Greek Empire. Now, let's look into this passage a little further. If we go ahead, this is the vision. Then Daniel tells us what it's talking about. Verse 20, The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. See, when you read that verse, you all of a sudden realize I'm not very bright. All I do is read the Bible. It didn't take any guesswork because God the Holy Spirit has already told us exactly what he was talking about. The ram with the two notable horns is the kingdoms, the kings of Media and Persia, verse 20. Verse 21, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king, Alexander the Great, a hundred to two hundred years before he was in power. Written in the book of Daniel. You say, why are you giving us all this military history? Watch this. Come over to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. An angel is talking to Daniel. Verse 13. Daniel 10, 13. Why don't we go ahead and get verse 12. For the context, then said he unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. In this passage, we are told something about military history. We are told that there are angels behind world empires. We are told there are angels behind military successes. The prince of Persia is a devilish 
evil spirit that fought against the angel that came to give Daniel this prophecy of world history that was to play itself out. Notice what it says. It says in verse 13, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. There's no man alive, nor any group of men, that could withstand an angel for even one nanosecond. This was a, a, a devilish angel, one of the fallen angels, that was motivating the kingdom of Persia, and this angel stopped and fought with him for 20 days, and he needed help because the, king, the prince of Persia, the fallen angel that was there, was stronger than he was, so God sent Michael, Michael the archangel, you know him well, he's one of the chief princes of the angelic host, he came and helped this angel so that he could come and see Daniel, and then he went back to be with the kings of Persia. Notice there's the kings of Persia, those are men. But there's a prince of Persia that is behind those kings that makes that kingdom great. Verse 20. This angel goes on to say, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And that is not talking about Alexander, that's talking about angels, fallen angels, behind world powers. But they are held at bay and they are resisted so that they can do more, no more than what God intended them to do by the angels of God that are sent to resist them. This is military history. Grecia and Persia were motivated by fallen angels. Anybody who's ever read anything about Alexander the Great and his conquest know that because no man alive with the small army that he had could have defeated numerically superior foes that outnumbered him anywhere from two to ten times in the way that he did. Because the Bible tells us God gave him dominion over them. And when he moved with Kohler, it's because he was full of a spirit, and a spirit was motivating, directing, and guiding him to have those conquests. Now come back to Daniel chapter 4, and let's read a little bit more. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 is written in the first person by Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians. It wasn't written in Hebrew, it wasn't written in Greek, it was written in Chaldean, and it was translated into every newspaper in the world because the king Nebuchadnezzar wanted all of his subjects to know what the high God of heaven had done to him. And I I can't preach that story this morning, but Daniel 4 is absolutely fascinating about a king humbling himself to write what the great God had done to him to teach him some wisdom. But notice what he says at the end when God is through taking him through a seven-year graduate course. Notice what he says in Daniel 4.35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Do you know what America has as way of a reputation in heaven? Nothing. Do you know what the European common market has as a reputation in heaven? Nothing. Do you know what you have as a reputation in heaven? Nothing. Do you know what all of us combined have together? Nothing. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Army of heaven. Is there an army in heaven? Would it use M1 Abrams? Why? Are you kidding? It doesn't play with trinkets. It uses chariots of fire. There's an army in heaven, and the God of heaven directs it. And Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson after seven years in graduate school at the Lord's West Point. Come over to Daniel, come back in this chapter of Daniel 4, and let's look at verse 13. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. A watcher and an holy one. An angel came down to Nebuchadnezzar to tell him about the seven years of graduate school he was going to go to. Verse 17. This matter... What was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones. 
to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This is military history. Where did Nebuchadnezzar come from, and why did those terrible events happen to him toward the end of his career? Because the angels of God found that he was obnoxious in their sight, and it was their decree that they would humble him and reduce him so that until he would know that God rules in the kingdoms of this world and setteth up over it the basest of men. He had been too proud. Nebuchadnezzar was too proud, and so the angels were sent down from heaven and they humbled him. This is how things happen in the history of the world. Adolf Hitler was just a pawn with fallen angels manipulating him. He made no more progress than he did, and he ended up dying like a madman, blowing his own brains out, because of the angels of God that protected the believers throughout the world. Whenever you see events, when you have a near accident in a car, and you are protected and your heart is fluttering, because you almost bought it, as they say, but you were protected. There are angels that protect those that fear God. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. There is an army of them. There's not just a few of them. Children have angels. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10, some of the disciples were a little irritated that little children were coming to Jesus Christ. And they forbid the little children to come to Jesus Christ because they thought He had more important things to do than to deal with little children. And it does tell us in the Bible, little children that believed on Him. But in Matthew 18.10, the Lord Jesus Christ said, These little ones do not forbid them to come to Me because their angels are always in the presence of My Father in heaven, beholding His face. They have direct access to the God of heaven And they are their protectors and their ambassadors in the presence of God. Don't you mess with my little ones. So we start off life as little children with angels. We're worshiping with angels today because Hebrews 12 told us that. They're in this room. You can't touch them and you can't see them. But that's no test of anything of importance. And you know what we're waiting for? We're waiting for swing low, sweet chariot. Do you know where that Negro spiritual came from? It came from a confidence that there were going to be angels of God in flaming chariots of fire that would arrive when someone is departing from this life and carry that soul and spirit into heaven. Now, do we have Bible evidence of that happening? Give me a name, brethren. A name carried into heaven by the chariots of fire. Elijah, the predecessor to Elisha. What kind of a turmoil in the air did they create when this chariot of God arrived for its trip to heaven. A whirlwind. What would we call that today? A tornado or a hurricane. And a chariot of fire came and carried Elijah into heaven. In the New Testament, who died and was carried by the angels into the bosom of Abraham? Lazarus. When it says the angels carried him into the bosom of Abraham, and we have the record of how Elijah was carried... How did the angels do it? With another chariot ride. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. That is exactly what we're all waiting for. Those little people in, an, in, a, in a hospital room that watch the green line go flat, if they can't see it, if they can't taste it, hear it, smell it, or touch it, that's all the farther they can think. But I want to tell you something, that in that room is a chariot of God that will take the soul and spirit of that departed one that feared God and take him for the ride of his life to the glory of heaven. This is what the Bible teaches, and the whole world acknowledges that this Bible is true because they still sign their checks 2006, and they still keep a seven-day week. But none of them fear God except for a few, and those that fear God are carried into heaven by the angels of God. We start with angels. We have angels with us today, and we're going to end with angels. 
And when anyone in this congregation dies, the rest of us are going to be standing there singing How Sweet to Die, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, or any song of your choice. Because we're going to know what's going on in that room, regardless of the little people who, if it's not plugged in, don't know anything. They're watching TV. They're getting so excited about all the cloning operations taking place in South Korea until, of course, the doctors admit that it was all a big fraud anyway. They're reading about how you ought not to eat meat because you shouldn't have fat in your diet because fat causes heart disease and cancer. And then they come out with a study in the last three weeks, the greatest study ever paid for by the U.S. government that says fat has no bearing at all on heart disease or cancer. They don't know what they're doing. They're playing. That's why it's called doctors practicing medicine. The God of heaven created our bodies, and the God of heaven preserves our bodies, and we use doctors when we can, but we know that their help is very limited. But there are angels whose help is not limited. And so we trust the God of heaven. Amen. The, the Lord in the Bible is called the Lord of hosts 235 times. The Lord of hosts. What is a host? It's an army. Because in the Bible, when we read the words captain of the host, and we read it a number of times, a captain of the host is a general of an army. But the God of heaven is called the Lord of hosts because he is the king and general of the armies of heaven, just as Nebuchadnezzar admitted. Now, come in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1 that our brother Eric Carnell read to us this morning. Hebrews chapter 1. We've looked at a little military history of what took place with the Syrians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, the Persians, the Greeks. And the angels haven't stopped operating in the world. It's just that men are more ignorant today than they've ever been. True. Instead of believing that a God created them, they believe that their, their great-grandparents were monkeys. And the great-grandparents of the monkeys were some amoeba that decided to be a monkey. And the great-grandparents of the amoeba were a chaotic explosion of gases in the universe. A degeneration of the human race as far as understanding. Right. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us about angels. It says in verse 4, but it tells us some, about someone else. And that's the Son of God mentioned in verse 2 of Hebrews 1. And it says about him in verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The Lord Jesus Christ obtained a more excellent name than any angel. Forget Michael the archangel, forget Gabriel. The Lord Jesus Christ obtained a more excellent name by inheritance. And he received his inheritance after the resurrection when he ascended up into heaven and was crowned Lord of all and given the inheritance and all the angels now report to him. Holding your finger there at Hebrews chapter 1, look over at 1 Peter chapter 3 so that I can show you this in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 3. Jesus Christ lived 33 and a half years, died on the cross, was in the tomb for three days and three nights, and rose from the dead, spent 40 days showing his disciples by many infallible proofs that he was alive, and then he ascended into heaven where he sits with a human body on a throne governing the entire universe. Amen. 1 Peter 3.22 you can see the last two words of verse 21. They are Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. There was a glorious moment in heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ arrived there. It's described for us in Revelation 5.11. And you should still have your left finger in Hebrews 1, but look at Revelation chapter 5. When the Lord Jesus Christ arrived in heaven after ascending from this earth in approximately 30 A.D., the angels of God celebrated His arrival and praised Him as the Lamb of the Father. And those angels came by and passed before the Lord Jesus Christ and swore allegiance to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, he was created lower than the angels. 
But by inheritance and by God's promotion and by God's crowning of him, he was put over all the angels. Though I am preaching about angels today, I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ is their head and he is the head of all the angelic armies for the benefit of the church. For you and for me. We read in 1 Peter 3.22 that angels and authorities and powers were made subject to him. And here's what it looked like when he arrived in heaven. Verse 6 tells us about his arrival, but look what the angels did in verse 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. And thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And it goes on to continue that saying in verse 13 and verse 14, four of the highest angels of all said, Amen. And the four beasts said, Amen. All those blessings that the angels announced upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God had given him, and they said he was worthy of them. He was worthy to be promoted over them, and they spoke his praise there in Revelation chapter 5. Come back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I just gave you a very short survey of a few places that told us how by inheritance Jesus Christ was greater, was made greater than the angels. What we want right now is verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Hebrews 1.14 This is a rhetorical question about angels. Are they not all ministering spirits? What does the word minister mean? Servant. A minister is a servant. Are they not all serving spirits? Sent forth to serve them who shall be heirs of salvation? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? Yes, yes indeed. Amen. The angels of God are our servants by the appointment of God to the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're a matter of faith. You know, the Bible says in this book that you're at right now in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Everyone has faith. Some people have faith in Charles Darwin. But Charles Darwin died just like every other man. We have faith in the God of heaven that wrote the Bible. They make their choice and let them make their choice. They reason from ignorance to ignorance. And they can never arrive at truth by starting with ignorance. We start with the Bible, which by a thousand different proofs is the Word of God and has benefited every nation, every person that has ever submitted themselves to it. Now, faith is the evidence of things not seen. We can't see angels, but we believe they exist as much as we believe anything from the Bible because the Bible tells us so. And because the Bible tells us so and our faith believes the Bible, we believe in angels. Let's speak briefly about angels before we take our break between services today. Angels are created. They're not equal to God. They were created by God and for Him. And they were created before God created the earth because in Job chapter 38 and verse 7, it says the angels sang when God created the heavens and the earth. And they rejoiced together. There's many, many verses that I'm not turning you to that you're going to have to use an outline for because I'm not going to take this into a series that lasts for weeks. Angels are spirits. Now we saw that there in Hebrews chapter 1. When it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14... Are they not all ministering spirits? And it says in verse 7, And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits. That's quoted from Psalm 104 and verse 4. Now, there's, there's no apostrophe there. It doesn't say that he made his angels, possessive case, spirits. It said he made his angels spirits. They don't have flesh and blood. They're not corporal beings like us with a body. They're spirit beings. They were made that way. They're spirits. That's why it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He came, did not take on Him the nature of an angel because He didn't come to redeem the angels. He came to redeem men that are men of flesh and blood 
So he took upon himself flesh and blood in Hebrews chapter 2 in order to be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God for us. So he took on the nature of man, which is different than the nature of angels. All men have flesh and bone bodies, flesh and blood bodies, but not angels. They are spirits. Angels have a will. The devil and his angels sinned against God because the devil said, I will be like the Most High, and God cast him out of heaven for his pride and arrogancy and discontentment at the position God had given him. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 14, and you can read that it was pride that caused the devil to be cast out of heaven in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where it warns ministers not to fall under the condemnation of the devil, which was the condemnation of pride. They have a will. Do you remember? In 1 Kings 22, when we saw that window into heaven, and the Lord was sitting there, and the host of heaven was on his left hand and his right hand, that one spoke on this matter and another spoke on that matter, they had ideas on how they could get Ahab into battle, and the Lord chose the third one that we're told about. They had ideas. They have intellect. They have names. They have personalities. They're individual beings that God's created. You know the name Gabriel. You know the name Michael the Archangel. They're invisible. God had to open the eyes of that young man in order to see the chariots of fire in the mountains all around Elisha the prophet. They're impressive. When they're seen, men fall at their feet almost as dead because of their glorious appearance. Look at Daniel chapter 10 as just one example of many from the Bible about their impressive appearance. You know, it's, it's, it's so dangerous to make pictures of things the Bible talks about. And you know, Catholic artists have painted angels for a long time, even though none of them ever saw one. And, and most of them never read a Bible. Because in the Catholic Church for 1,200 years, it was illegal to read the Bible. So most of those artists, they weren't interested in real religion anyway. They were just interested in their art. They didn't read the Bible because the Catholic Church wouldn't let them read the Bible because they wanted to keep the people of Europe in ignorance, and that's why it's called the Dark Ages. But these Catholics come up with these little pictures of angels with great big fluffy white wings, and sometimes they have wings like we read in Daniel chapter 6, but they're not effeminate. And they're not little babies with banjos and horns floating around God's throne or anything like that. They are powerful beings with great power. And they look like bolts of lightning or flaming creatures or fiery chariots. Because that's what the Bible shows us that they look like. Sometimes they appear just as men. But when they appear just as a man, they have strength about them and an aura that is different from anyone on earth. And I'll give you the example of Daniel who was quite exposed to the things of God. But look what he says. Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. And what is his vision? It's in verse 5. I beheld a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with the fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I had no comeliness left in me. They're impressive. They're invisible. They're immortal. Look at Luke chapter 20. They're immortal. There's something that you and I are going to do that angels don't do. But they're going to help us when it happens to us. Luke chapter 20 and verse 36, the Lord Jesus Christ said this about angels. Luke 20, 36, neither can they die anymore. For they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Once we die and we go into the presence of God, then we are a spirit of a just man made perfect, and we can die no more, because we are then like the angels that do not die at all, according to the Bible here. Angels are celibate. They're men. They don't marry. They, they have a manly appearance to us, but they're not men in the sense that we think of men. 
But whenever they appear in the Bible, they're always men. They're not women because there's the greater impression of strength in the form of a man. They're celibate. They don't marry. You can come back to Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus Christ had to answer a skeptical question by the Sadducees about the angels in heaven. But he said this, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Angels don't marry. You know, some of you have read in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of God married the daughters of men, and some of you have been told that that's the angels marrying, marrying women of the earth. That is such a joke. Not a chance. Not at all. Right. Nowhere. The sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 are the descendants of Seth from chapter 4 that were the worshipers of God. Angels wouldn't find anything attractive about a woman for several reasons. One, our race is too far below theirs. And two, they have no sexual attraction to a woman. And that's, that's totally and utterly impossible. But it's people who are, who are Trekkies and have watched a little too much Star Wars. And so they get into the Bible and they think that angels have come down and had sex with women. And we've got this third breed running around, running around the earth. And there's, no, there's nothing in the Bible about such a thing. But there are many people that read Genesis chapter 6 and believe that. All it's talking about is that the followers of God began intermarrying with the unbelieving pagan women of the world. And that's why God sent the flood and destroyed the earth. Angels are celibate. Angels are masculine when they appear. As a man that we just read about in Daniel chapter 10. When the women went to our Lord Jesus Christ's tomb on the first day of the week early in the morning... What did they see there but a young man sitting beside that tomb who was an angel sent from heaven? Angels are locational. That means they're limited to a particular location in the earth. God is omnipresent, meaning He's present all everywhere all the time. The Bible says about God, Him speaking of Himself, Do not I fill heaven and earth. God is everywhere at all times, but angels are limited in space like we are to one particular place. They're locational. And so they travel back and forth, and we can read about their travels in the Bible. God can call them into heaven for a general meeting. When God called the angels for a general meeting in Job chapter 1, who appeared among them? Satan. What had he been doing? Going to and fro in the earth. And then he went to report back to his Creator. Angels are locational. They usually dwell in God's presence. But they come and do things in earth, and they encamp around about them that fear Him and deliver them. And a whole lot of them can be in a small place at one time because we read about a certain Gadarene. And he had spirits, angels, fallen angels inside of him, and their name was Legion, for we are many. Spirits aren't like you and me that fit into a certain size suit coat. And a bigger one next year. Angels are fast. Not only are angel, angels locational. You know, as soon as I, as soon as I study the Bible and find out that angels are locational and they're in one place and if they're going to be in another place, they have to move to it. What do you want to know next? Cause I want to know it. How fast are they, brother? How fast are they? How fast is an angel? Well, now in the Bible, they're described as bolts of lightning. How fast is light? 186,000 miles per second. Light can circle the earth seven times in one second of time. We measure stars and their distance from earth not by putting out 18 commas and calling it miles. We put out light years. Stars are a certain number of light years away. And An interesting thing about angels and how fast they are. The angel Gabriel was in the presence of God. And Daniel begins praying in Daniel chapter 10, 9. Daniel 9 or 10, right now my, I wish I had an angel to tell me, but it's 9 or 10. Gabriel was in the presence of God. Daniel begins praying. Before he finishes his prayer, Gabriel's there to give him the answer to his prayer. Now that is fast, brethren. You can call it light years or whatever you want, but when you have an angel in the presence of God, and the Bible tells us this specifically, whilst I was a-speaking, Gabriel showed up with the answer to my prayer. They can get there. So it doesn't matter that they're locational because they have such speed that they're able to fly 
like a bolt of lightning, but a whole lot faster. Angels are intelligent. They had ideas for the Lord in 1 Kings 22, but they're not very intelligent. God is very intelligent. He is omniscient. He has all intelligence. But the Bible tells us, like the coming of Jesus Christ was known by the Father, but was not known by the angels. God does not show them everything. In fact, they're still trying to look into why and how He saved us. They're looking into those things because they want to understand them better. Angels are powerful. We've already seen that. The Bible tells us about them that they excel in strength. Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21. Have you ever wondered, why didn't any of Adam and Eve's descendants eat of the tree of life? An angel with a flaming sword keeping the way of the tree of life? No one was going to get near the tree of life. Can an angel bring a tornado? Did he in Job's day? A whirlwind? Can a spirit cause human illnesses? Did Jesus cast out a deaf and dumb spirit? And when the deaf and dumb spirit, that doesn't mean the spirit was deaf and dumb. That means the spirit, that means the spirit caused deaf and dumbness. When the deaf and dumb spirit was cast out, what happened for the deaf and dumb? He both heard and spoke. Do you remember the woman in the Bible that was bent over for 18 years? She was bent over for 18 years and couldn't raise herself up. When did she raise herself up? When the Lord Jesus Christ cast the devil out of her, a spirit of infirmity, she popped straight up. What do we do today with all the cases of infirmity around us? We drug them. We drug them, and if the drugs don't work, we throw them in an insane asylum, a mental institution, padded cells, lock them up, and try to keep them safe. No one wants to deal with this. You can go take all the training you want at medical school, but you're not going to be taught very much from the Bible. And so there's many problems they cannot deal with. And what do they deal with them? Just drug them and lock them up. Angels are powerful. 185,000 soldiers in one night. How about the angel that came to judge Israel and drew his sword and stood over the city of Jerusalem? 70,000 men by germ warfare. You know the story well. You should know it well. Angels are very powerful. Daniel was glad they were powerful when he landed at the bottom of a lion's den. In the morning, he was still there to talk about it. And he said, God hath sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. Were the lions hungry? Well, we read that as soon as they pulled Daniel out of the lion's den, they threw his enemies into it. And before his enemies could find a resting place in the bottom of the den, every bone in their bodies was broken by those lions. You don't feed lions in a lion's den well. You feed them enough to keep them alive and angry. But the Lord sent his angel and closed their mouths. You know how many there are? They're innumerable. You saw that in Hebrews 12 and verse 22. When we got over to Revelation and John was seeing that vision of the angels... He used the same way to express them as Daniel did in the book of Daniel. How many were there? What is 10,000 times 10,000 if you're still sharp with your zeros and decimal point? A hundred million. And then he just said thousands of thousands. He calls them innumerable. And there are servants, but they report to one man. They report to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ sits in the throne of this universe and governs it through his army. None can stay his hand. No one can stop him. And no one can say, what doest thou? Why are you doing that? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the blessed and only potentate. And the angels are some of his servants. They're organized into principalities and powers, thrones and dominions. Some are weaker than others. Some are stronger than others. Some are chief princes. Some are princes and some are not princes at all. Principalities is the domain of a prince. Powers are rulers. Thrones and dominions are different categories of angels that rule in this world. And they all report to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the archangel? 
a chief and prince angel. We've read about him in Daniel. His name is Michael, according to the Bible. How many angels are there? We're going to sing the chorus to this song in just a moment. But when the Lord Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew that his hour had come in which he was going to lay down his life for his people, he would die a death on the cross in order to pay for our sins by suffering the judgment and wrath of God in our place. He died as a substitute, not for his sins, but for ours. But while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the angry mob of the Jews came to take him captive, Peter drew a sword and slashed at one of those men who happened to be a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Our Savior picked up the ear, put it back on the side of his head and healed him. And he turned to Peter and said, Don't you know that I could call right now for twelve legions of angels and they would come and deliver me? What's a legion? Why did he use the word legion? Because they were under Roman dominion and if there was one word in their vocabulary that put fear in them, it was the word legion because it represented 6,000 Roman soldiers. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, don't you know that right now I could call 12 legions of angels to come and deliver me? That'd be 72,000 angels. Do you think they could have handled that little mongrel crowd of Jews and Romans? Amen. But Jesus didn't call those angels. And though they stood by twitching with their swords, wanting to rescue him, and a simple word of help would have brought them to his rescue, he laid down his life for you and me. And because he laid down his life, God has promoted him to heaven. And the angels sang, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power because he so willingly went to the cross when he could have called them to deliver him. Do you love your Savior this morning? We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not worship angels. Whenever an angel was worshipped in the Bible, the angel would say, Don't worship me. Worship God. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that we ought not to pretend or feign any humility of trying to worship angels. We worship God. He's our Father in heaven. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word this morning.